Well, we saw the beginning of the church. We saw the foundation, which was the role and function. And now we turn, I think, really to one of the... Let me get this off. Here we go. We, this is the, the person. We now turn to one of the key elements in the local body, and that's leadership. Who are the leaders? What do they do? I want to talk about leaders. When, when we talked about the church, we said there were different structures of church. And some churches have, have, have like a board, okay, like a board of leaders, okay? Some churches, and some of these, it's like, a, like many Baptist churches, the, the, what's the board called? They're the what? The deacons. Okay, and then such like Bible churches and stuff like that, they have usually have elders and deacons. And most Baptist churches have a pastor and then a board of deacons. And then some churches have elders. Of course, pastor would be on one of those. You have others where there's still like there's a group of elders, but then they, they meet, you know, they're under somebody else and certain things like that. So on almost every every church, every local church, there has to be some type of leadership. And you say to yourself, okay, who are these leaders? And, and we, we believe they're men, and we talk about raising up elders and deacons, and we have some incredible, let me just say this, we have incredible men on our board. We have both elders and deacons, and it's just it's fantastic. I want to tell you a story just to show you what can happen if you have what I would call bad leaders, okay? I read this story, and it's a true story. As a young guy that went to seminary, got out of seminary. It was his first church, and it was sort of a country church. And it was, uh, they had a group of, and I, I think it was a group of deacons. And so when he got there, uh, the church had a small, you know, had a building and a little house and everything, and I think there were maybe 100 people in the church or whatever. So he started there, and the, the leaders came to him, and they said, there's a man in this town that used to go to our church, but we're not really sure he's a believer. And since you're new in town, why don't you go see this man? He, and he's, he's very wealthy, and it would be really good if he came to our church. That's what they told him. So he's, you know, he's probably 25 years old, and he says, okay, I'll do that. So he went, and this guy lived in a big house, and he went to the house and knocked on the door, and the guy actually came to the door, and he said, Hi, I'm the new pastor in town, and I know that uh, you, used, you, you have in the past gone to this church or something. And they started talking. And as they stood at the door and talking, the pastor said, Let me ask you a question. That, like, um, where do you stand spiritually if you, like, if you were to die? Because I went, You're questioning my salvation? And the guy said, oh, no, sir, I, I don't know you. I just was kind of fine. And he said, you get off my property right now. Okay, so he left. It just happened that the church caught on fire and burned down. And this rich man came to the deacons, and he said, I will rebuild the church if you fire the pastor and get rid of him. And we're talking, he's like a couple of million dollars to rebuild this building. And so the the, past, the, elder, the deacons met together and said, well, we can get another pastor. And so they called him in and said, you offended that man. He wants to rebuild our church, but he won't rebuild it if you're here. So we're going to ask you to leave. My understanding is the guy, that was the, he, he, never, he didn't stay in ministry. He left. What, what, would you, what do you think about something like that? Isn't that horrible? Have you ever heard of anything like that? Let me ask you something. What would you do if somebody came to this church and said, I'll pay off all your debt, 
and help you build a brand new youth building, but I don't like JB. And if you can, if you will get rid of him, I'll do all this for you. What would you? Yeah, that man. <laughs> man must surely die. I mean, I mean, have you ever thought about that? That's a, thank you very much. But uh, <laughs> just think about what authority or power leaders have. We know in a lot of churches, sometimes what they call family-led, meaning that especially in smaller churches, there have always been like a, a family that has sort of run the church. We have all know that in some churches. The bigger the church, the harder it is to happen. Smaller churches, that kind of thing happens. So when you start looking at leadership, you've got to have men of God, right? To, it, and it doesn't matter whether it's a little country church so to speak, whether it's gigantic type church, whatever it is, you've got to have godly men. So when we talk about this, one of the key elements in the local body is the leadership. The leadership. Who are they? Who are the leaders? What do they do? How do we get them? Those kind of things. And so when we think about leadership, the central passage for leadership in the New Testament, the, two, the passages uh, in the New Testament are 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Those give the, what we would call the characteristics. And I want to show you something. I'm just going to write it up. You, don't, you can just write it up. A lot of people, when they look at that, they'll say, these are the qualifications for leadership. These are not qual- qualifications. These are characteristics. Characteristics. There's a difference. If I said uh, qualifications, you got to be six two one ninety. If I said characteristics, you got to be kind of a big, strong person. Okay, see what I'm saying? A, a, a qualification might you might have a list there, and if you've looked at that, they're a list of maybe thirty things. Well, if they're qualifications, how many of them can you have and not have? If they're characteristics, they go back to the character of the person. Nobody's perfect. And so I think, next, I think next week that lesson deals with some of the characteristics of people in leadership. And so we'll actually talk about that next week. But anyway, when we start thinking about it, the key, central passages of leadership in the New Testament are found. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. The key element, and this is the key for everything dealing with the body, especially leadership. The key, one key word that stands out concerning biblical leadership is servanthood servanthood. One key word that stands out, it is servanthood. So I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Just turn over there. I want you to see this because Jesus is teaching this and it's really powerful and it makes all the difference in the world. Did you know that for the, forever the church has taught about what we'd call servant leadership and about 25 years ago the secular leadership world, who had been written books for years, suddenly started talking about servant leadership. And, and uh, they, they began to say, well, if you're really going to lead, whether it's in a business, and they were all using it from a business structure or for a company and everything, they talked about serving your people. But that was only about 20 or th- maybe 30 years ago. But the Bible has talked about servant leadership Forever, and we, we think about what Jesus taught. So I want you to look at Mark chapter 10, and uh, as, you're, as you're getting this, the, the, a couple of the disciples uh, went to Jesus, and actually their mother was with them. And the mother came up to Jesus with them and said, I've got a question, but I've got a request for you. And Jesus said, what do you want? And she said, when, when the kingdom comes, I like my two boys, one be on the right and one be on the left. And he went, Really? And one of the other Gospels says the, boy, the, the two guys, James and John, actually asked the same thing. And so he said, well, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink, which is, means to die? And they went, yeah. And he said, no, you will. And then, but he said, but you're not 
you're not going to be able to take that position. He said, I'm not even going to give that position. I'll let the father give that position. Well, all the rest of the guys heard that, and they thought, wait a minute, the kingdom? They're going to be, they want to be right and left? What about us? And so they began, everybody got kind of mad. And it said in verse 41 of Mark chapter 10, Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. So calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, he said, let me show you something. He said, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority. He said, you know, when you thought, oops, I, th I think I pressed the wrong button. What did I press? Uh-oh. Uh, okay, yeah, there we are. Okay, uh, so, I don't know what happened. Anyway, so he said, in the world, Jesus said, in the world, if you remember, notice what he says, that the Gentiles lorded over them. Leaders in the world are really bosses. They can come in and say, listen, you do what I say, or guess what? You don't have a job. In, in a sense, that's the way that leaders lead in the world. And Jesus says that's the way they are. They lord it over their men, and they exercise great authority. And then he says this, though. He says, but... It is not this way among you. When we're talking about the body of Christ, when we're talking about leaders in the church, we're talking about how it all works. This is not that way. Whoever wishes to become great shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be a slave of all. The contrast in the church is leaders are to be what? Servants. I mean, in reality, that a lot of times people put, here's the boss, and here's the people. But in the church... Here's the people, and here's the leaders. And the leaders serve the people. You think about it. Who's serving those kids? It's those people down there. The kids aren't serving them. And, and w w when the, the music people get up, they're, they're serving you, right? When, when we think about all the stuff we do, it's the people in the body that do the serving, and the leaders do the serving. The leaders oversee it, the whole idea of the serving. So Jesus said, look, the contrast, that if you're going to be great, if you want to be great, you, you become a servant. And he, he really highlights this. Notice the verse again. He says, whoever is among you, it will not be this way. If you wish to become great, you shall be a servant. Now, no, I've heard people say nobody minds being a servant until they're treated like a servant. Have you ever, let me throw something out real quick just for fun. Have you ever noticed how some people treat waiters and waitresses? You can go to a restaurant and the waiter or waitress comes over and of course they, nowadays everybody says, hi, I'm somebody and I'll be serving you tonight, you know. And, but uh, how do we treat them? We should treat them, with, they're, they're helping us. They're not our slaves. I've watched people say, well, I want this and I want, I mean, I mean I've seen them treat people like trash. And, and you want to go, so the truth is this. Uh, we don't mind being called a servant until somebody treats us like a servant. So Jesus said, whoever's great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. And then Jesus does this. He gives the greatest, what is the greatest example of servanthood? It's found in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Look what it says. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the eternal God. He's everything. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for us. When we think about 
leadership in the church. When we think about leadership in the body, leadership in the body is being a servant. And we are to serve one another. In fact, all of us serve one another. That's what the, the Bible talks about, all these one another's. And the overarching one another is to love one another. And if you love one another, you're going to serve everybody. You're going to use your gifts. You're going to build up one another. You're going to encourage one another. You're going to bear one another's burdens. You're going to do all the one another's if you're serving. And the leaders in the body, their job is to serve. They use their gifts, their talents, and their abilities. By the way, we just on Tuesday nights I have a we have a Bible study last that's last night with the with our elders, the elders. We have a Bible study. And one of the things that you think about, the elders were appointed by you to be in places of leadership. But that doesn't have anything to do with their spiritual gifts. When we look at the characteristics of leaders, it doesn't even mention spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are how you serve. Leadership is through serve, is, is, is being a servant. It doesn't have anything to do with spiritual gifts. So uh, leaders serving the body, that's how, how this, you know, being in a place of leadership does not just go back to whatever your spiritual gift is. All the spiritual gifts are used to serve. So what we, whoop, so let me go back. I thought I had a, there's not a place there. Okay, now, so leadership in the Bible is servanthood. So let's talk about this. There are four words I want you to see. Four words that are used in the New Testament that are really talking about servanthood, and it'd be what we can apply when we think about our lives or we think about leaders. So let's let's think about this, that when we're talking about a person who's a leader and what they're like and what they do, you can also look at each one of us and say, okay, whether we're in a place of leadership or not, should we be doing these same sort of things? It's like next week when we start looking at the characteristics of a leader, the characteristics of a leader is just a mature believer. And so we want to have the same characteristics whether we're in a leadership or not. So there are four Greek words. Here's the first one that I want us to see. The first one is Philippians, and it's the word slave. Okay, it's actually doulos. You don't have to write uh, that down. I don't. In fact, I don't want you to have to worry about the Greek words. But there are four words that stand out. Philippians one one. It says Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. The word bond servant there means a slave. And so the first aspect of leadership, uh, the first aspect of serving in this idea is to realize that we are slaves. Who who are we slaves to? Huh? Who? That's right. We're, but we've been bought with a price. You know, we're slaves of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians six nineteen and 20. What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your bodies. So the first thing we need to think about is we've been bought. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it up this way. And I want you to look at this because they all go together. We're slaves. We've been bought. We've been bought with a price. And the emphasis in this right here, as you think about this word, is that we belong to God. Okay? Think about that. We belong to God. So the first thing we think about in a person in leadership or servanthood is they belong to God. The second word is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, and it's the word for steward. It means an overseer of the house. Now, a steward, in those days and time, that the, the, the master, the one who owned them, remember, because they belonged to God, the one who owned them said, okay, I'm putting you in charge of my household, putting you in charge of my crops, I'm putting you in charge of my animals, I'm putting you in charge of this. And the person was called a steward. It's 
literally the Greek word is oikonomos, which means law of the house, the house law. This person's job was to take what the master gave them and use that. And we think about it, we say, wow, what has he given us? Gifts, talents, abilities, uh, the Bible, he's given us spiritual gifts, he's given us everything. And so we're stewards as well. And that means that we're to work out and, and take and use wisely what God has given to us. So the second word is a steward. And the emphasis, I'm just going to put it up here and we're going to see how they all fit together in a minute, is one who is faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Moreover, brethren, it is required of stewards to be found what? Faithful. When you stand before Jesus Christ, what's the key word we want to hear? Faithful. We don't want to hear, you were real successful, you made a lot of money, uh, you, you were taller than anybody else like Saul. You know, what, what's, what, do, what do you want to hear him say? Well done, good, and faithful servant. That's, all, that's the key word because it doesn't matter what you do. You could spend your whole life behind the scenes, setting up chairs, making sure everything's clean, doing all kind of stuff. And when you stand before Jesus Christ, he may say, well done, good and faithful servant. It, does, it, does, it has nothing to do with whether you're up front or not up front. It has nothing to do with something's bigger famous or not bigger famous. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's the idea of faithful. So what do we got? We belong to God and we're faithful. There is a third word, and it goes back to Philippians 1, and it basically says this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. This word is the word deacon, and it means a servant. And we're going to talk about it in just a minute. It has that, that idea of uh, a server. So we got a slave, a steward, and a server. And when I say server there, you realize that the word deacon, diaconus, used to mean the original use of the word was stirring up dust. And you say, what, what do you mean? Because in those days, the servants moved around dirt floors. They moved and did stuff fast. Dirt came up after them. And so they became known as the people who stirred up the dust, a diaconus, which is a, a we, we, we've taken that word and we say a deacon. Because when we say there are two Greek words for leadership, elders and deacons, the word deacon means a servant. And so now we've got, uh, and let me put the emphasis for you. The emphasis, one who serves. So, serves. So we've got one who's bought, who belongs to God, who is faithful, who serves. And there's one more word. And it's really a little bit of a unique word. And it's found in Romans chapter 12. And if you remember the verse, it says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And that's what this word means, a spiritual servant. It means serving in a spiritual way. And the emphasis is a spiritual capacity. So, spiritual service. When you look at this, somebody who belongs to God who faithfully serves in a spiritual aspect. And what we really realize is that everything we do, everything we do is a spiritual aspect. There's, there's you know, there's people who'll say secular, secular, and you want to say, so secular means it doesn't have anything to do with what? They're really saying it doesn't have anything to do with God. There's, there's religious and secular. What? No, there's not. 
it all goes together. It's just like they, they say clergy and what's the other word? Lay, lay person. What is a lay person? I've, I always want to laugh at that. I want to say, don't call, what's a lay person? We're going to lay them around somewhere? What does that mean, a lay person? And what's a clergy? You know, clergy goes back to this word right here. The, the word that means spiritual service. It has an idea of serving in a spiritual capacity. Who serves in a spiritual capacity? It, huh? Every one of us do. Now, this is a leader. We're talking about leaders are supposed to be bought with a price. They belong to God. They're faithful. They serve, and they do spiritual service. But the thing I want you to get is even though we see this, this is, this is the same for, for all of us. The, all of us do the same thing. So when we look at it, the summary is we belong to God. We're faithful, we're serving, and we serve in a spiritual aspect. That Actually, that Greek word was the word used for a priest serving. But who, let me ask you something. Are there any priests today? Huh? Every believer's a priest. Have you ever thought about that? Let me ask something. If, if every believer is a priest, do we offer sacrifices? We offer any sacrifices? Okay, so Romans 12, 1 and 2. We offer our lives as a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Living sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament, what kind of sacrifice they offer? Dead sacrifice. They killed them and put them up on the altar. The old saying is that the problem with a living sacrifice, it keeps crawling off the altar. It just so happens today I was studying because I'm teaching at the GES conference and I'm one of the things I'm teaching on is Genesis 22 where Abraham offered up Isaac. And I, I just want you to think about this. How old is Abraham when he offers up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you have any idea? He's got to be at least, at least 115. And his son has got to be anywhere from 15 to 20 years old. Okay, right? Think about that. It, I mean, Abraham had him when he was 100. So if he's, I mean, I'm just saying this. If he's 15, Abraham's 115. If he's 20, Abraham's 120. Do you think Abraham at 115 could put Isaac up on that altar if Isaac did not want to go up on that altar? Do you think Isaac could have outrun him? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and you think about it, Isaac willingly got up on that altar. Okay, we offer a sacrifice of what? Our lives. you know any other sacrifices? Huh? Uh, did you say what? Praise? Yeah, there, there is. There is a place in Hebrews that says, there's will we sing and praise God. That's a sacrifice. Also says when we give, that's a sacrifice. And when we do good, that's a sacrifice. So we can offer sacrifices as spiritual priests, so to speak. There is a spiritual temple. Do you know what it is? If you read Peter, what is it? It's the body of Christ. It's the church. We're, we're, the, we're building the blocks of the church as spiritual priests offering spiritual sacrifices. I think that's amazing when you think about it. So when you look at this, as for a leader, they have to recognize they belong to God. They've got to be faithful as faithful stewards. They've got to be serving, and they've got to serve in a spiritual way. That's the same thing for us. And so the bottom line, if we just put it in here, is leadership is what? It, it's servanthood. That's what it is. Leadership is servanthood. And we see a need for leadership. I always talk about Prof. Hendricks. 
I can remember one of the classes I got was in with him, and he was just amazing. But he said churches, and he used this word, he said churches are screaming for leaders. And sometimes they don't realize they are. A lot of people say everything's fine, and they realize that there's no leadership in their churches. I mean, think about our church. Uh, we have a purpose, right? What is it? Anybody know? Make disciples, right? We have a, a plan. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We have a process. Gathered and scattered. Y'all know that. You know why? Because we have leaders that, ha- that understand what's our purpose, plan, and process. And which way do we go in and what we believe. I mean, most of you, if I said, what do we think the gospel is? You'd say the gospel is Jesus Christ died and rose again. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have what? Everlasting life. Do you know most churches, if you said, what's the gospel? They just sit there with a blank face. They don't know it. They've never been taught it. If you ask them, what's their purpose of their church? Most people will sit there and go, I, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what it is. Or they may say, well, I think it's evangelism or I think it's this. And I say, now what is it? And so leadership affects a lot of things. Leadership is servanthood. It is vital that churches have people who lead and, and set the direction so that all of us can be in this thing together. So Prophet Hendricks is right. Most churches uh, are screaming for leaders, and they don't even know they're screaming for leaders. They don't know, they don't know what's going on, and it, it kind of breaks my heart. And I think there's, I've seen in the last 10, 10, 15, 20 years, what I've seen is there's kind of a two-movement thing. There's one where people just kind of go through the motions, and then there's one where people are trying all kind of I call them gadgets, all kind of things to somehow get people to come, whether it's this program or this process or this thing, and they're always trying everything, and they're writing books on how to, how to increase attendance or how to do this or how to do that. What are we supposed to do when we gather? Worship and train. So to worship, singing, praying, giving, studying the Bible. Training is taking the Bible, teaching it, and making application. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? What does Paul say? He says, preach the word. In season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. He says, until I come give, the, remember what we saw? A public reading of the Bible, a public teaching of the Bible, and a public application of the Bible. That's what he said. That's why we do that. And that's what we're supposed to do. And the church is screaming for leadership. Uh, Eisenhower, uh, and many, some of you, uh, you don't know who he is. He was used to be the president. He was a great general in World War II, and he became the president of the United States. And he said this about leadership. He said, leadership is the ability to get a person to do what you want them to do when you want it done in the way that you want it to be done because they want to do it. So leadership is getting people together and saying, here's our common purpose. Here's our goal. That's why when we think about our church, what is our common purpose? What is our purpose? Make disciples. That's our common purpose. If somebody said, why are we even existing? We said, because God told us to make disciples. How are we going to do it? We're going to equip believers to do the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to gather for worship and training, and then we're going to scatter for evangelism and service. We know what we're doing. We're supposed to. Now, there's some people who come to our church that don't have a clue, but there's, think about y'all. You come into classes. You're getting trained and equipped. Probably every one of you are finding, you, there's some place you're plugged in, serving in some way. That's what you're supposed to do. There's an old saying that there are three kinds of people. Uh, there are those who watch things happen. You ever thought about that? They watch things happen. And they, 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 many times these people are pretty good followers because they watch it happen and they kind of connect with it. There's another uh, people who make things happen. 
that's a lot of leaders in the sense that they, they sort of make things happen. And then the third group are those who say, what happened? <laughs> you know, because they just don't, they don't know what's going on. They, they really don't. And uh, there's a lot of people, I think, in local churches that have never understood why, why you even meet. Why you meet. Would you think that the average Christian would say, the reason that we meet on a Sunday morning is so we can worship and then be trained from the Word of God so we can know it, apply it, and pass it on? Most people would say, well, we go to church because we you know, sing and hear a sermon or something. It's much more than that. It's much more than that. Let's talk about uh, the key aspect of leaders. And, and uh, it's Psalm 78, 72. The key aspect of a leader is integrity and character. There's two uh, aspects, integrity and character. Let me, let me erase this for a second, and I want you to see this. Psalm 78, 72 is talking about King David. And it talks about the fact that he shepherded them and, and he guided them. He shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them uh, with skillful hands. There are two things that have to go together for a person in leadership. The first is they've got to have integrity, which is like character. The second thing is they have to have skill. They have to have ability. It's hard to lead if you don't have the ability to lead, if you don't know what you're doing, if you haven't been trained. That's why when a person becomes a leader in our church, they, if a person ever is going to say somebody gets nominated to be a deacon or to be an elder, they're not going to be in a position unless they've already had the 412 and the 22 and they're serving in some kind of place and they're doing things. They've got to be involved in ministry and equipped. And so when we think about it, they've got to have skill and ability to know and how to do things. And then they've got to have the character. I want to take a, just a minute to, to talk about a warning. And I've seen this in my life. In fact, it's happened to me in my life and other people as well. When you talk about leadership... You need both. When you're gonna, when a person is being raised up for a place of leadership, whether it's along the staff of a church, whether they're on a board of a church, whether they're leading a particular ministry in the church, they really need to have these two things: integrity, which let's just say character and ability, the skills. Now, when it comes down to it, if a person has the character but not the skills, you can train them. You can help them get the skills. And that's, that happens so much. You find men and women of character, godly people who say, well, I want to help in this, but I don't know how. Okay, we'll help you. We'll show you. I want to teach this, but I don't know how. We want to help you and show you. So if, if you've got character, you can train people with the skills. But if you have skills without character, you're a dangerous person because they can come in. They can win people over. They can do things. And because they have lack of character, they destroy things. When the Bible talks about leadership, in Acts chapter 20, verse, in, in the passage around verse 28, Paul warns the leaders of the church, and he says, after I leave, two things will happen if you're not careful. One, false teachers will come from without, and divisive people will come from within. And he says, you've got to handle both of them. We already know that in our church... A false teacher comes in this church or somebody who comes and starts saying, well, I think you have to do this to be saved. We, they wouldn't last long here, right? We'd find that out fast. But a divisive person could, could, could divide the body. And that's why 
a person who has skills, ability, personality, who can get with people, they can be dangerous if they don't have character because they destroy things. We've seen it in churches. We've seen it in businesses. We've seen it in a lot of different things. We've even seen it in families. So be really careful. If ever you have an opportunity to have a part in helping someone decide, help, helping decide who needs to be in leadership of those kind of things, make sure you look for this first because you can train this. But if you have this without this, that's a dangerous person. That's a dangerous person. I've, I've had... Um, uh, I've had at least five friends who were in ministry, pastors, and every one of them had to leave their churches because a person either was on staff or in the church that caused so much division they had to leave. And they were not a person of character, but they had great personality and people liked them. And uh, I mean, I've got the, I mean, I can name, um, I'm not naming names because this is recorded, but I, I can think right now I can think of five people, five people. And so I, I always am concerned. Anytime we're talking about leaders in our church or leaders in any aspect of ministry, this is what you got to have first. This is the key. And that's why it said, and David shepherded him according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them with his skillful hands. David had both. That's why he was a great king. And, and even when David messed up, he still, God still called him what? A man after God's own heart because he came right back, confessed it, dealt with it, and went on. Uh, Saul, on the other hand, Saul was a, a great leader until he got jealous and messed up. And when Saul messed up, he never dealt with it. And he never was able to lead. And that's why God replaced him with David. And we'll see that on Sunday mornings as we go through it. So what is integrity? The old saying is integrity is a firm adherence to a code of moral or artistic values. And, and, and I don't like that because I don't even know what that means. But the bottom line is integrity is when you basically integrity means to be oneness. It means to be whole. It means that you're the same in both places. You're the same in public. You're the same in private. You're the same. Uh, you know, it's just it's. It's sort of an amazing thing. And so when you think about character and integrity, so what about us? What about all of us? We, we, nobody's perfect, and we all mess up. But are we trying to be godly men and women of, of character and integrity? And, and we're learning skills and abilities, and we're taking spiritual gifts that God's given us, and we're learning how to, how to serve and to, be, and to use and all that. But this is the key. This has to be developed first. And that's why I think it's so important when you read Psalm 78. He goes all the way through. The, it's a long psalm. Uh, seven, what it, no, yeah, 78. It's 72 verses. That's a long psalm. And all the way through, he goes through how they, how they do this and how the nation of Israel do this. But then he says, but then he chose David. And choosing David, then he says, and he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. So it's very, very important. So what are we looking for? Because let me tell you, it come in about August or September, sometime in there, Brian, is that right? Oh, September when we start, we will probably say to the body, it's time that if you would like to nominate someone for a place of leadership at Stillwater Bible, you can, there's a form, we put forms out. And the form is, is a little bit unique because on one side, it lists the characteristics, First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. List them out there of what kind of people we're looking for. This is what you're looking for. And then on the other side, it actually says your name and you want to nominate the person, but 
before you can nominate them, you have to go to them and say, would you feel comfortable with me nominating you for a place of leadership? And if they say no, you can't, you can't do it. You know, if they say yeah, then you can do that. And so then those names will come to the board that's already here, and then we'll begin to look at those and then to meet with those people to see how many really want to be in leadership or what all's involved. There's some people who get nominated, and they say, I'll, 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 let me think about it, and they'll come, and we send them through a, we have a big seminar which takes them through everything. Sometimes after that, they say, I, I'm that Right now, I'm not ready for that, or I don't want to do that. And, and some people even uh, that we just see that they're just now getting started, and we might say, hey, listen, why don't you help oversee this, and maybe next year, you know, think about possibly being in leadership or something. So that, that's what we do. So coming this fall, you'll have an opportunity to nominate probably some people in the body if you want to. And what kind of people do you look for? Well... There's some people that are real sharp, but you've got to be careful about that part. So you want this first. That's always the thing you look for. So with that in mind, and we only, we got about 15 minutes, I, I think I, I want us to talk about the, this last part because the last part to me has, has a lot of, of things in there. And it's, um, by the way, that, that's another definition, a state of being undivided. That's why integrity, what, what is, uh, what, all the math people, what, what's an energy or in, what is it? What am I thinking about? Uh, energy, what is it, the one that's a one? Inter, yeah, you know, it's like one thing. And that's what integrity comes from, that it's undivided, that it, it's, it's together. It's not one thing over here and one thing over here. It, it, it really boils down to the fact that how are you in public, how are you in private? Be the same, a person of integrity. That's what we want to do. Okay, with that in mind, there, there are five areas of character integrity I want us to talk about. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how long it might take. It might, we might get through early tonight because we've still got about 15 minutes. And, 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 but, but let's talk about them. The first one is this. And this, this is so vital. I want you to just think about it. The first one is this. Keep your word. The first one is keep your word. And if you say it, you do it. There's a time in our, in our country when if you just said it, that was good enough. I remember that when I was in it with another church, we bought a piece of property, and the piece of property was by the church, and the man that owned it was an older man then, and that's been a long time ago because I was younger then and now I'm old. And we went to the guy and said, we want to buy the property, and he gave us a figure. And you know what we did? Shook hands. That was good enough. Nothing was going to change. It, they didn't get lawyers involved. They didn't have, I mean, we got, had papers to actually switch it over, but... This man, I knew him well, and let me tell you, if he said, I'll sell it to you for this much money, there's no doubt he's going to sell it to you for that much money. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to raise the price. He's not going to trick you. He was a person who kept his word. And, and nowadays, what do we have? We have people who have contracts and lawyers, and there's all the loopholes, and everybody's trying to figure out how to get out what we said. The bottom line is, if you said, do it. And what did Jesus say? Let your what? Your yes be yes and your no be no. The bottom line is sometimes it's not to your advantage. I have to tell you this story, okay? And some of you know this story. This has been a long time ago. It's probably 20 years ago. Uh, I had a guy that uh, he was going to our church. He was a fantastic guy, and he was in a, a fraternity. And they were going to have a retreat. And about a month before the retreat, he came to me and said, Hey, would you be willing to speak at the retreat? Uh, just We would need it like it's going to be on Saturday morning. And would you be willing to speak at the retreat? And I said, well, yeah, sure, I'd be glad to. What do you want me to speak on? He told me. I thought, okay. Well, I assumed 
I assumed that the retreat was in Stillwater. Because he said, it's my fraternity. and where's he? Well, it was when we got close to it, when we got to about Thursday before the Saturday, I called him to double check. And he said, oh, yeah. Now, by the way, you know where it is. I said, no, I don't. Well, it was three and a half hours from here. It was like at a lake way up, like going almost into, you know, Missouri and stuff. And so I went, oh, my God. And so I said, oh, I didn't know it was up there. Because, see, uh, you know, I, I, couldn't sp- I wasn't going to spend the night. There wasn't any place to spend the night. So I had, I'd have to get up. I'd have to get up. I had to speak at 8. And so I had to leave at about 4 something to get there to speak. And he said, is it going to be a problem? You don't have to speak. I said, no. What did I tell you? And so I, I got up at I think 3.30 or 4 and drove all the way up there and spoke for an hour and turned around and drove back. But that was great. You know, I love to teach. But what did I say I would do? I said I would speak. Now let me tell you, it was not convenient. Most of the time it's convenient. It's real convenient here. Like on a Wednesday night, y'all are coming to me. I'm not going to you, right? It's real convenient for me. I actually work in this building. So you can, I, I mean, if you said, is it convenient to speak on a Wednesday night? Of course it is. Remember it says preach the word in season and out of season, meaning when it's convenient and when it's not. Listen, when you give your word, when you say you're going to do something, then do it. It's very important as, as, as leaders, as Christians, to, to keep our word. This, was, this has happened to me a number of times, but I'm, this, it's not been too long ago. A guy called me and said, hey, I'll come, I'll come, I'll come do this and, with you. And I said, okay. And he never showed up. Never showed up. I mean, I waited, and then I finally went. And, did, and I, I finally saw him, and I said, hey, what happened? He said, oh, something came up. That's all he said. Something came up. Okay, now think about it. When you say, I'll come up on Saturday morning and help them clean out, like that somebody puts the word out, we need some people to come help and like fix the, you know, the something. And you say, yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to do it. Are you going to do it or not? It's so easy on that Saturday morning to go, Saturday morning, I was going to get donuts. I forgot all about going up there, right? So bottom line is keep your word even when it's not to our, your advantage. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we say things and we say to ourselves, I wish I hadn't ever said that. But we do it, right? And we've all done that. And it's so easy to say, well, something came up. And you can't say that. If you're going to be a person of character and integrity. Keep your word, okay? Uh, the second one is, this is big, be dependable. It sort of ties in there, but be dependable. And if you notice, I have a little acronym there. It's called a fat person. Right? Be a fat person and, and be fat people. And fat stands for faithful, available, and teachable. So let's talk about being dependable for a minute. The first of all is faithful. Luke chapter 16 verse 10 says, He that is faithful in a little thing will be faithful in a big thing. And if you're not faithful in a little thing, you won't be faithful in a big thing. And the bottom line is this, that faithful people are the key. That means, you know what's amazing? That there are some of you in this room and you are going to be in this class every Wednesday night, no matter what's going on, unless you got the virus or something, you know, something like that. I mean, you're just not going to miss. And and then there's going to be some people that you, you know, they start. You wouldn't believe how many names are back there that started and went to two classes and we've never seen them again. And so, are, are you going to be faithful? Faithful to do whatever God's called you to do. Faithful to show up. I'm going to get Kevin for a second, but I mean, Kevin comes every Sunday morning early to be a greeter. He, he, 
you're not even on rotation. You just come. Am I right? Because you, you want to do it, and you're there. And, you know, if he's not there, something's wrong, you know, or else he's called me and said, I'm going to be out of town, but he's there. And so when Charlene and them, y'all always looking for people to help, but you don't have to worry because Kevin's coming. Yeah, he's coming because he's faithful. If you're faithful in that which is little, you'll be faithful in what? That which is much. And, you know, you hear people say things like this. Uh, I want to I wanna really, really do big things for God. Guess what? Are you willing to do little things for God? If you do a little thing for God, you can get to do a big thing for God. That's really the key. So be faithful. That is the, the, the thing. I love it. Luke 16, 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. Faithful in little, faithful in big. Okay, the second thing is available. Now, this is a key, a, a key because it requires sacrifice. Because available means that you're there. You show up. You're available. You're ready to help. There's always some people that you look around and they're always there. And you go, you want to help? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm here. I heard y'all needed something. They're, they're available people. You know, people say, I'd like to teach. I talked to a guy, and he wanted to, he said, I really want to be like in ministry, and I want to teach. And so I, I tried to meet with him, and he stopped showing up. Are you available? Are you available? And it requires sacrifice to be available. It does. It, you know, you can't serve if you're not there. Think about that. Think about that. It, it breaks my heart about with this virus because there are people in our church that haven't been to church in over a year. I mean, it breaks my heart. I don't know how, I don't know how you can go for a year without going to church. Now, I know you can watch it and everything, and that's great, but golly, I, my heart breaks for them because of the fact that they can't be here. It's hard to, to, hard to do things. The third one is teachable. Now, this is probably my favorite one. Faithful, available, and teachable. Teachable means that you keep on learning, you keep on growing. You, that You know, the moment you stop being teachable, you die. And the moment you stop being teachable, um, uh, you become arrogant. Because when you're not teachable, that means I've already know everything. I'm, I've, I'm, I've arrived, you know, and, and you know it. And so teachable is, is the idea of learning. Let me tell you, I, I, I just watched Prof. Hendricks some. And he, he always was, he said, I'm always reading, I'm always learning, I'm always asking. And, and the, the same thing for us. What, you know, I, I, I know a lot of the Bible, but I still keep learning all the time. And I, I read books and I, I listen to other people. And I, I mean, you know, I may say, oh, I don't agree with that. But I may say, oh, I've never thought of that. That's pretty good. I mean, we've got to always be teachable. The moment you quit being teachable, you've lost it. Because, because then you're arrogant. Because you say, I, I don't need to learn from you. I don't need to. Let me tell you, some people you can learn what not to do. Right? I mean, you can look at it and go, <laughs> I'm not doing that. But, but, but you're still learning, right? That's, that's kind of the key. Okay, so that's the second one. The first one, keep your word. second one is be dependable. Be faithful, available, and teachable. Here's the, the next one, is be honest and truthful. And when I say honest and truthful, I'm going to go into a, a little bit difference about this because the first idea is can you be trusted? The idea of honesty, and honesty not necessarily with money or things, but even with information. Do you know there are people, <clears throat> there are people who sometimes tell me things I can't tell anybody else. I'm not talking about like 
I murdered somebody. No, not that kind of stuff. I'm, because I have to, I'd have to report that. You know, I'd have to. If you listen, if you come to me and you kill somebody, I'm gonna have to tell on you. You know, I mean, I can't help it, but I'm gonna have to do that. But there's things that people say to me, and I say, okay, and I can't, I can't tell anybody. And I can't tell. I don't tell Gene. Sometimes people think, I bet you told Gene. I said, no, I don't tell anybody, because I'm not supposed to tell anybody. So can you know? Can we? Uh, can we be honest? Can we be truthful? Can we? Can we keep? You know what we're supposed to say. I love the the uh, the passage in Ephesians. He says that Ephesians four twenty five, laying aside falsehoods, speak the truth with each of you, because we're members one of another. The one in in uh, four twenty nine, uh, Ephesians four twenty nine, uh, be accurate with what we say. Let no unwholesome word comes out of your mouth. We got to be careful what we say and what we do. I also, this is on the slide, but there's an aspect of dealing with money. Let me tell you, uh, we trust Brian completely. Right? I do. I trust Brian completely that I know his character. I know a person. But let me tell you what. To protect Brian on Sunday morning when y'all put money in the plates or checks in the plates, they're not just Brian dealing with that. There's like three or four or five men. They go get the money. They put it together. Two or three people count it. They check it all out. Brian counts part of it. And then when it's all done and it gets ready to go to the bank, they actually come to me and say, you sign, JB, that this all adds up before we even go put it in the bank. You have to do that. When people love integrity, then Brian is a person of integrity with money and everything else. But you have to protect everybody. You protect everybody. And and so this is the idea of honest and truthful, truthful what you say. Um, so let me ask you something. If somebody comes to you and they're your friend and they tell you something that's sort of in confidence, do you tell anybody else? It's real easy to. And it's real easy to say it like a prayer. Oh, by the way, we need to really pray for Brian. Here's what I found out. I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't do that, right? So it is amazing how things spread just like wildfire. And you say, Who's that? who told anybody that? I didn't tell anybody that. So this is, a, this is the honest and truthful part. Here's the next one, and that's persevere. And that's finish what you start. Now, that is our culture today, hardly ever. People don't want to finish what they start. I mean, they just jump around from one thing to another, and, and that's what we got here. And so this is the, the finish what you start. Uh, the First uh, Corinthians passage, he says, uh, anyone who competes in the game exercises self-control. This is the discipline and perseverance. They run. They do this. They make sure they're not disqualified. The bottom line is that we we got we to finish what we start. And... There's so many times people would say, I want to help in that, and then two times they're gone. They'll take a class, three lessons, they're gone. And you want to say, I thought you liked it. Oh, I liked it. Well, why don't you come? Oh, this other stuff comes up. Look, finish what you start. I was talking to uh, with Benny. Everybody knows Benny, Benny Trout. Benny was talking about when he was in high school, he wrestled, and uh, he wasn't very good. And he wasn't enjoying it, and his and he said to his daddy, "I think I'm going to quit this year." And his daddy said, "No, no, you're not." And so Benny said, "I finished wrestling that year. I did not wrestle anymore after that." But you know, and so some people they get in the habit of it's not what they want; they just quit. And sometimes there are some real advantages in just finishing what you start. I like the Hebrews passage where he says, "And run the race with endurance." Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So there's, there's so many good things. So we've seen, keep our word, be dependable, be honest, finish what we start. And then here's the last one. And I think 
this one is a key as well, and that is to concern and care for other people. Listen, if you're going to be in leadership, you've got, you've got to care about people. I remember there used to be an old joke somebody would say, you know, it'd be, uh, campus would be fun if it wasn't for all those students. Well, you know, that's why there's a campus. I've had a, I remember a pastor say, you know, church would be great if it wasn't for the people. Well, that's right, but it is the people. The church is the people. And oh, do we care about other people? Is that what it's all about? Life and leadership depends on impacting people. I love this. Look at this right here. We are here to serve others in the name of Christ. When we talk about serving and leadership, and it's not about us at all. In fact, I've got this quote. It says, it says, we're not here to make a name for ourselves, but for a name for Jesus Christ. That's the key. That's the key. To make a name for Jesus Christ. To build up Christ and to build up one another. That's what we're here for. To care for other people. And that goes back to the Philippian passage about humility. And, and the verse actually says this. Listen to this verse. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Okay, now that's all of us. Don't be selfish. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another, now get this, as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Think about that. Looking out for others. Putting others ahead of yourself. You know, that'll make a difference in the world. Because it shows love. And love, Jesus said, they'll know you because you love one for another. When people see you caring about other people, they will say something like, why, don't, what are, you, why are you different? Why do you do this? So we look out for others rather than ourselves. So it's really, really powerful. Those are five areas that I think are really, really powerful. So think about them for a second. Do we keep our word? Are we dependable, faithful, available, and teachable? Are we honest? And what about our words? What about how we handle money? What about how we handle things? Do we finish what we start? Or are we always, are we always starting and never finishing? And then do we care about other people? That's the key. That's really the key. So when we think about it, in summary, our reason for living is to serve God and others, being people of, notice, character, integrity, and concern. Those, I just put those three that way toward the end. And that's, that's what we're all about. And when we're talking about leadership, this is the kind of people that have to be in leadership in a church. So let me tell you, we got some leaders, and the, they're, they're men that are like this. They're really amazing men. But we need more, and, and we need to continually, God is continually raising up men for leadership, and that's why I'm, I'm talking about leadership in the local church that way. But think about all the ministries. The ministries aren't all led by men. Everybody can serve. We've got a lot of ministries led by women. We've got all kind of things. So you, if you're going to lead, if you're a woman or a man, you still have to be all these characteristics. You have to be people of character, people of integrity, people of concerns. You have to keep your words. You have to be faithful. You have to do those kind of things. And so we end it with this scripture verse that, that is going to be our scripture verse for next time. And that is, so he shepherded them. He's talking about King David. So he shepherded them according to the what? The integrity of his heart. And he guided them with his skillful hands. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one's the most important? That one is. Skillful hands are great, but they can be dangerous too. This comes first, then that's there. And think about it. Think about all the people that 
you're learning, so you, you're giving them the skills. But if they're people of character, you got it, you got it made. That's what you got it made.